everybody. This is Lucia Kleštincová, your host of Lights in Europe. Today's very special guest is Alberto Alemano, who is the founder of a civic startup, The Good Lobby, which is out there to empower ordinary citizens to speak up, inform policy decisions and bring change at local, national, all the way to international level. So we are discussing how the whole idea of transforming the lobbying industry was born, what it actually is civic engagement and citizens lobby, how can you as citizens find the courage, reasons and partners and the right tools to be successful in the causes that you are fighting for. And we're also looking at the situation in Slovakia where I asked him whether a murder of Jan Kuciak and his fiance it was necessary for the civic society to wake up. So listen to very interesting conversation about where our civic responsibility starts and ends. Also in the context of public sector carriers, where many of us are wearing multiple hats and it sometimes can be rather challenging to embark on new civic engagement projects. Hello, Alberto. Thanks a lot for finding time in your very busy schedule for our podcast. Thank you for having me. Before we go into what you're actually doing here in, in Brussels, I would like to take many, many, many steps back to where your passion for empowering leaders started. Because we know your story of how you're working to uncover the unseen and unheard voices in Europe and how you empower citizens to be much more engaged. And you're a very well-known professor, author, leader at the European level. But I've never really heard you share how did it happen that you decided to leave a part of your identity, which was academia and research, and why did you decide to embrace this path of transforming the way engagement and lobbying looks in Europe? I don't think it has been an epiphany. I cannot uh, recall a specific moment in which I said, well, I'm going to devote my life to give a voice to people who don't have it. But over time, uh, in particular, when I became a professor, which was my dream to finally become a professor, I realized, like many of us, people who work hard to get a position, that actually I didn't have much influence in what I was doing. I was teaching to a few dozens, perhaps hundred students every year. I was writing scientific articles in books that very people, very few people were reading. Uh, and I start asking myself, so what? How can I be useful? How can I leverage on the expertise and knowledge I've learned over time? And that, that was the moment in which I start offering on a pro bono basis, so for free, my expertise to many civil society organizations, not only in Brussels, but also at the national and local level. And I realized there was a need. So I start asking myself, how is it possible that today we have such an oversupply of human capital and we have such an incredible demand for expertise and knowledge? How can we make sure that such a supply and such demand can meet somewhere? And this has been my intuition. And that's where I started off with the Good Lobby, which is my civic startup here in Brussels, but also in Milan and operating all across Europe, including in Slovakia, when it happens. Yes, we'll get to Slovakia later. I'm wondering how did it feel back then at the beginning for the good old lobbies who owned the industry back then? And it was a rather opaque industry, probably when you were starting and maybe partially stepping on their toes. Were you told that this is not a good idea? This is not where lobbying and policy making is supposed to be going because it's such a hyper complex topic and citizens don't understand? Well. I think lobbying today is still perceived very negatively, but if you stop and ponder, you realize that lobbying is about voicing, is about each of you telling your political leaders what they should actually do. So lobbying is legitimate, lobbying is necessary, but very few people do lobby. 
only big corporations and companies who actually have the resources and also the understanding that in between elections, they need to influence the process. So when we start operating with the good lobby, we have been disrupting a little bit that market by saying, hey, you know what? Not only corporations deserve to get a voice and to have expertise on how to influence the process that affect all of us, policies on social issues, taxation, uh, and defining our life chances, but also nonprofit, also civil society, social entrepreneurs do deserve access to power. And that's the disruption we've been operating by saying, well, we need to demystify and to democratize lobbying as a accessible instrument that should be available to everyone. So we are not there yet, but we are certainly playing a role in translating very complex concepts that very often remain a bit in the, uh, in the dark to a, a wider audience. Uh, and therefore the demand which is coming to us from the average citizen who says, well, I'm really interested in writing an email to my newly elected MEP, member of the European Parliament, or to my new mayor. How can I do that? And that's what we're good at, trying to bring these people into the process. And so for those citizens who have done the shift in their head, who want to be much more active, you are now providing them with the tools and instruments and guidelines and books, which are of great help for all of us who are trying to um, kind of reach out for new possibilities for our projects. Do you also have an ambition to shift the perception of civic engagement for those people who don't feel like it's their responsibility and they would sometimes go all the way to checking out completely out of democracy because they say it's a fake dysfunctional concept, the way societies and countries are run now. And so they think it's such a desperate situation that we're in that they don't feel like it's their responsibility or in their possibility to contribute to the change. Absolutely. I think the challenge for our approach, which is a constructive approach, uh, expecting people to engage, is to beautify the policy process. So to make sure that people understand a basic concept distinction between politics, which is how to get elected, and policy. Policy is about defining the rules of the game. And everybody should respect the policy side, perhaps not the political one. But the policy side is really about defining what are the best options to reduce the number of plastic bags in a city? What is the best way to avoid discrimination based on gender? How can how can you not be interested into this? So I would provocatively challenge all those people who turn it off and say, I'm not interested in politics. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about policy. What are the rules that define your life chances, the chances that your kids are going to have in the future? You should be interested into this. And let's face it, we are live in, in, a, in a very wealthy society. Most of us have the chance to study, have the chance to deepen their understanding. So there is a moral duty on each of us listening to this podcast to actually to do more than just uh, filling up their job description and, and growing a family. I think we need to acquire this understanding of doing more and giving more to society because we are pretty privileged as compared to those who came before us. Absolutely, which is why we are also so grateful that you were engaged quite a lot with Slovakia and that's how we met many years ago through our engagement with uh, young political leaders in Slovakia. We've seen a big transformation in the degree and volume of civic engagement in Slovakia over the past two, over two years since the murder of Jan Kuceg and his fiancée. Does it need to get as bad as a murder for countries like ours, for people to go to the streets and start requesting proper governance of their country? 
And now I'm asking specifically through the lens of Slovakia or Central European region. Well, young killing is definitely a tragedy, but it's also something that prompted an unprecedented awareness in a generation that has been taking for granted the European integration process and the rapid transformation that occur in a country like yours. So there is a positive side of the story, which is this kind of civic awakening that you were describing or hinting at, that I think we need to nurture further. And it is not a Slovakia story, it's a Polish story, it's an Hungarian story, it's a story that is happening in my own country of origin, which is Italy, where people suddenly realize that our political leaders are not up to the task and they do not respect the intelligence of the people uh, who are supposed to represent. So without going too far, I know that Slovakia has not been witnessing a major coronavirus hysteria. But what is happening in most European countries today really shows an inherent inability of our political leaders to talk frankly about what is currently happening and telling that overall the risks are limited and that each of us has a role to play, uh, but we should not uh, get into the slippery slope of thinking that this is going to be end, the end of the story. There are frameworks. There is the WHO. Uh, there is the European Center in Control of Disease. We're providing advice. We need to trust the system. When citizens stop trusting the system because their political leaders depart from it, then we are in danger. And that's what I see happening in Central European countries, but I see happening also in the South of Europe in this particular moment in which citizens feel powerless because their own political leaders do not uh, nurture any kind of esteem or respect for the institutional framework, be it the rule of law or the principle of non-discrimination or of human dignity. Uh, and this is what really worries me. And that's, to reply to your question, is what people should feel more and engage more in showing up in the street, protest, holding accountable our decision makers and being much more demanding vis-a-vis -vis what they're actually delivering to us. And so when we bring together the engagement and the problem of trust, is it necessary for people to start entering the political sphere themselves for the trust to be fixed? I wonder whether political engagement is a solution to the absent mm. trust, because the fact that we say what we want doesn't necessarily mean that we will feel like we are respected in what we're saying. Well, you know, Lucia, my theory is quite simple and, and accessible for other Several decades we have been told that we can vote for elections, uh, we can run for office, which is great, something that many of us should actually do. But there's a third option. And this third option is what I call citizen lobbying. It's about citizens who actually engage uh, with our political leaders. And I think what I would like to see in Slovakia is not only protest in the streets, as you have been having and you will still have, but also citizen groups who organize in order to share ideas on how the worldview, how Slovakia society should look like in 10 years' time and share those ideas with their political leaders at the local level, na uh, regional, national level. And then holding them accountable when they're not going to be delivering on such a vision. And this is very complementary to representative democracy. We still have to elect our political leaders, but their representativeness is limited today. In a 24-hour news cycle in which people are getting more and more educated, we need to do more than voting and run for office, which is to contribute to policymaker, decision-maker, political leaders on a daily basis. We need a feedback loop that I call citizen lobbying, which is really about making sure that citizens share their ideas, 
hold accountable their political leaders in order to advance the political debate. And we know from experience that everywhere in Europe and beyond, where citizens organized and made a big ask by collecting signature, showing up and providing solutions to the political leaders, political leaders had no choice but to follow them. So this is the good news. Citizens, each of us has a lot of power. We just need to use it strategically with some thinking because the tools of participation are there. Also in Slovakia, you have many opportunities to file for requests for access to documents. Uh, that's what Jan has been doing for a long time. Uh, we have the possibility to go to the ombudsman, to lodge a lot of administrative complaints, and most importantly, to tell those stories to the media who can amplify our actions so as to increase pressure on political leaders. We need to use those tools much more often and we need to be organized. Now I want to ask a question about this, but specifically focused on the soul of a public administration and all these public servants, many of which are listening to us, who live this kind of a double life when they're serving a system through their work and then obviously they're citizens at the same time. Do you have an opinion on where is the dividing line for these people and their activism when sometimes they want to step up for the cause? We often have these conversations when it comes to, for instance, uh, public servants running for office, which is like the big thing out there, which you can already see. But does it or does the future um, do we see a change in the future coming in the sense that maybe a nature of a public servant will change and, and allow or request from public servants a bit more of a self-expression also to allow them to be more happy on the job? Public servants are the pillars of our systems, the systems that uh, allow our public administrations to work, to deliver services to us. But they have historically been overlooked a little bit. Uh, they are those people who actually do the heavy lifting uh, with their political leaders on top, taking merits for what they are doing. So it's not an easy position where to be in, but at the same time, being a public servant uh, gives you a strong identity. You are somebody who really serves society every single day in the shadow, most of the time. But somebody who could have a lot of influence because your political leaders are going to be turning around and shifting. They're gonna not, not going to stay for long. But you, as a public servant, you're going to be there. So your level of understanding and your level of engagement and contribution to your country is significant. So the question is, how can we make sure that those public servants can not overstep by going beyond their job description? And this is a very fine balance that we struggle to identify everywhere at the local, national, and even at the European level where European officials are uh, doing an amazing job, but they, in average, feel a bit constrained by their ability under the statute, the staff regulation, to actually take a stance on Twitter, running a podcast, or interviewing people. I think this is a bit of a taboo at the moment, we had uh, very interesting stories and case law, meaning public servants brought to justice or bringing to justice their employer in order to define this line. And my answer there is context specific. I think each administrative culture can accept some flexibility, yes or no. But what matters is that the rules of the game are clear. So if a public servant wants to join the political realm, it's something that he could do, she could do, but she has to make sure that the public will understand in what kind of role that person decides to enter the public sphere. So there should be full transparency, there should be a clear Chinese wall, there should be 
a lot of precautions taken by those individuals. But I would encourage more public servants to think about actually entering the political realm because they have a lot to say, they have a lot of experience from the inside, and therefore they could serve their country in a different role, not as technocrats who know uh, a body of knowledge and they have a lot of ideas and expertise, but as people who are inspired and inspiring for their community and in average draw much more trust than political leaders. So they have an inherent advantage. Good. Thank you very much. We don't have much more time for another question. So I really hope there will be a follow-up interview in a couple of months and we will see where we will have gotten with the good lobby in Europe. Thank you. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!